0: again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Uh, today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Randall Smith. And we're going to be discussing his new book that's out from Emmaus Press, from here to eternity. No, not the movie. This is a book. <laughs> From here to eternity reflections on death, immortality, and the resurrection of the body. Joe Rossinello, I think those are important things for Catholics to discuss, don't you? Oh, I would agree. Absolutely. Uh, Some of you out there uh, might know who Randall Smith is. Having said that, Randall B. Smith is professor of theology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. He received his B.A. in chemistry at Cornell College and M.A. in theology at the University of Dallas and his M.M.S. and Ph.D. medieval studies and philosophy at the University of Notre Dame under the direction of Ralph McInerney. Um, He is the author of reading the sermons of saint thomas aquinas a beginner's guide and aquinas Bonaventure, and the scholastic culture of medieval paris he writes regularly for the catholic thing randall b smith welcome to the front line with joe and joe brother
2: this is great right yeah i've uh, the, the great joe and joe i mean to be on with you guys it's a, it's a big deal and in new york city right
0: wow it's the big time right so no,
2: thank you thank you for having me on
0: well, there all. thank you for joining us. And they, yeah, I mean, we, we Joe and I, you know, we learn, we say all the time at the show, uh, Randall, that uh, you know, we learn as much as our audience does. Joe and I, when we have on authors like yourself discussing these very important things, I think death or mortality and the resurrection of the body is pretty weighty. Um, we learn as much as our audience. Um, so it's, uh, you know, honestly, it's, it's a privilege to do this show because we, Joe and I as Catholic men gain so much more knowledge, you know, and something we should always be doing is pursuing knowledge. So thank you so much. This is going to be be a very interesting conversation. With that, Joe Racinello, I'm going to hand it over to you.
1: Randall, we always start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word, incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, Randall, just to piggyback off what Joe was saying, I mean, um, We're so blessed to talk to people like yourself, to be honest, because I say that because I am a big fan of your writing on the Catholic thing. I've read it for many years well before this. I think it's a great website for those out there who want to read. It's just a great, like, eclectic mix of voices. Um, And I would always, and I'm not just saying this, pay particular attention to yours. Um, That's why we jumped at the interview when our friends at the St. Paul Center, um, it at us. I mean, I, I was just like, Great. I mean, you have a lot to say. And to be truthful with you, the world is blessed to hear your voice. And we're gonna explore that today. Um, as yeah, Joe... we'll we'll see. Right. No, we yeah. will, yeah. we will, we will. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have some fun right, and yeah. we're gonna talk about right. it. I mean, to be honest with you, what we and Joe and I try to do is like we talk to people who are incredibly intelligent. Um, we're just regular guys. We try to like condense that and just talk to people like you know, you would at a kitchen table. And I and, and to be honest with you, I think that's a very um workable way to have these type of conversations. And and we get like the your voice out there. And and frankly, as Joe said, we learn too. I mean many times I've sat here behind this mic and just listening and I'm sure that's going to be the case today. Yeah. Um, with that said, though, let's talk about death, because I, I think it's something that reaches, like, all people. Like, not everyone's interested in Catholicism, but I think everybody thinks about dying to some degree. I mean, maybe when you're younger, you might not focus on it. But as you get older and things stop working the way they're supposed to, you know, you go to the doctor and your cholesterol's up and this is Oh, down. my sciatica
0: hurts. Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. You start thinking about it. Um, but if if basically if at death our lives simply come to nothing and 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 some people think that mm-hmm. what is the point of living i mean does life have any meaning if 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 there's nothing just after death you die that's the end uh let's talk about that a little bit yeah that is
2: the challenge actually that i take up in in the book i mean it's not just the challenge of the book right i think you're right it's the challenge uh that we face it is the challenge throughout history that cultures have tried to deal with in various and ways. And generally, people think that um, you need some notion of the afterlife to have some this life seem meaningful. Now, there are not everybody, right? I mean, uh, I point out that, for example, the Epicureans thought uh, the only thing people fear about death is the afterlife, that there'll be some sort of horrible punishment or something. And um, they argued that, no, no, this is silly, because there's nothing after this life. It's just oblivion, right? Like you, just stop existing. Um, and they thought, see, so no, no fear. Uh, I'm not sure this has been uh, very comforting to many people throughout history to believe that everything they've struggled and strive for and all their experiences and uh, all their relationships that they've had with people, right? The people they love, the people they've connected with in the end, it just goes away. There's nothing right blank page or, uh, but I mean, even on the blank page, you're conscious, of the blackness there would be no consciousness and again i think for many people that's that's uh not exactly a comforting idea um so what our culture tends to do though right again we we sort of say presume uh arrogantly in a way oh we don't we don't believe in the afterlife anymore but what we do with death then is we put it away from ourselves in our culture right uh we lock it away in rooms Um, we don't want to see it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to think about it. We think that maybe the science will help us uh, live on and on and on for eternity. Um, or at least for, I don't know, right. Another 30 years, 40 years, 50 years or something like that. Um, in the ancient world, they also thought about this, the, the immortals, and sometimes called in the modern world, the immortality project, every one of the uh, stories and myths and parables that has to do with uh, immortality always ends very badly. Um, They understood this is not a smart thing to desire. Um, But anyway, I think you're right. I mean, this is the question. The question is, if there isn't some notion of the afterlife, then doesn't this life seem utterly meaningless and pointless and empty? And not only that, it's not merely, you know, the meaningfulness of life, but as Dusky Esti pointed out about God, right? If there is no God, and we might also say there's no afterlife, why wouldn't you just be evil, right? I mean, rather to be a, a Nazi guard in Auschwitz than a Nazi prisoner in Auschwitz, why not be one of the uh, abusers rather than the abused if, the in the end... There's just oblivion for both, um, and so again, there people have this sense that if in the end the Nazi guard and the Jewish prisoner end up basically the same, there's some sort of unfinished business in the universe. There's some well, lack in the fabric of the of the world.
0: Well, those Rand, Randall Smith joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, but, but but those people they have a notion. See, if 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 at the end there's nothing, then there's no justice. Right. There is no. no. But yet, intuitively, we know. We say, or at least we say to ourselves, but wait a minute, you know the 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 evil bastard who killed six million people, all right, or yeah. Stalin who killed twenty more. This one, that, no, no justice, yeah. no, no. none whatsoever. Yeah. No no, 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 no. Now Richard, now Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins would say that's right. Yeah, he would say that's right. There, you're you're just you're just out of luck. If you, you you were born in a place and you, 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 throughout the course, you were the victim. Yeah, and you were oppressed, or you were killed. You're just out of luck. There is no such thing as justice. Your comments are not random.
2: Yeah, well, no. And again, I, I, I look. I, that's a that's a possibility, I suppose, right? What what you have to then do, it seems to me, if you were Richard Dawkins or anybody like that, uh, is then try to find some way. And this is what is a challenge, which isn't often taken up, although sometimes it is, right? Which is to say, all right. Well, now, how would you? C- argue if that's your position how would you argue that the person shouldn't be the nazi guard and should prefer to be the person who suffers rather than the one who uh um you know makes others suffer right i mean it's one thing to sort of play with this intellectually and sort of say well yeah there's no you know you're just you're out of luck and the point is yeah tell that to some uh person whose mother died in auschwitz or something like well you're out of luck Right. Like and now tell some Nazi guard like, well, yeah, you're you're going to die like and they're going to die. And so I guess you should just be you. Right. I mean, you have then have to have the responsibility of of somehow saying or arguing why somebody should be the person who cares rather than the person who abuses. And that becomes a very difficult thing to do. Not impossible. I'm not arguing that no one has taken up that challenge. It's just that Richard Dawkins hasn't taken up that challenge. It seems. Well, he, has a, he hasn't way.
0: taken up that challenge, Randall. He hasn't taken up that challenge, but they do. Let's, let's you know, yeah. be fair. Right. I'm gonna, yeah. You know, atheists like Sam Harris, he'll say, well, the, no, it's not just chaos. You sh- as long as you're not harming somebody else, uh, do whatever do whatever you want that makes you happy. At least yeah, it's an that, attempt. That's a yeah, it's that's a very a, good
2: one. <laughs> that's <laughs> a long tradition that you know John Stuart Mill and goes back even further than that. The harm principle. The problem with the harm principle, of course, is that as everybody you know who does philosophy knows, is that it's a it's a, a an underdeveloped term. I Meaning you know like what harms people. So you know people have dorms and uh, dorm rooms. You know at a university, and somebody goes, well, you know I just want to play my music at two a.m. I'm not harming anybody. Well, of course, somebody across the hall like, I want to sleep, and the point is, well, I mean, I'm not hitting him over the head. Well, what constitutes harm, right? right? And we have this in modern universities, right? I mean, it, one of the great ironies is the, the harm principle, John Stuart Mill, was trying to, uh, it's in a book called On Liberty and the idea was that no you should unless you were positively harming somebody else you should allow people to speak freely well we know now on on university campuses the harm principle is so widely interpreted that somebody's like oh this person made a speech and it harmed me right mm-hmm. because he said things that i find disturbing <sighs> Mill would be rolling in his grave, you know, if he could hear thought, but you know, the problem is the harm, like what constitutes harm? And similarly, in a in a culture that values freedom, how much harm would you have to be doing to somebody else to justify your st- not doing refraining from doing the thing you want to do right right? people who smoke have this problem all the time it's kind of like i'm smelling your smoke from 50 feet away and they're like look i'm not harming you and like oh this is harm the point is so i'm supposed to stop doing this thing anyway but we don't want to get into the the right right you know it's like yeah this is people make these attempts but the problem is you know real philosophers it seems to me are like yeah, the harm principle just doesn't work, right? I mean, it's not completely stupid or something. You shouldn't harm people, but it's, as a, right. as a moral position it's not really going to work
0: no and and uh, and for anybody just joining us out there randall b smith is joining us at the front line with joe and joe his new book out from emmaus press from here to eternity reflections on death immortality and the resurrection of the body thank you for that randall because i you know i'm always interested in in comments especially you know our audience knows i uh, uh, the particular vein pops out of my head when we start talking <laughs> about atheists joe resinello where do you want to go well, let's
1: talk about atheists and, and basically sometimes how they perceive Catholics with regard to how we look at God and heaven. They could maybe say, like, you're making this up just to basically make yourself feel good. Um, I, w- I would disagree with that, and I would say, you know, God is more than just an idea. He is a person. He actually is a tangible—you could feel God go into an adoration chapel and— um, Sit before the Lord. There's peace there. It's tangible. You know, like I would say that's that that, there is God. Um, But if someone presented that to you, they just said, you're making this up. You know, there is no heaven. There is no God. What would you say?
2: Well, again, the the, the first thing you'd say is, well, okay, you know, there is this challenge about a notion of uh, what makes life meaningful in any way, shape, or form. And even if they didn't have a sense of God, right? whatever they might understand by that term, right? People have had different understandings about that term. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I believe in the Christian God, loving God, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, it is an interesting thing. I sometimes tell my students, you know, uh, the first question isn't whether you believe in, quote, unquote, God, right? Some ghosty figure that you don't know what that word means. The first question is whether you believe in love. Uh, because if you don't believe in love, right, you're never going to believe in the christian god i mean even if they somehow students buy i mean i i you know have taught philosophy and theology for a while and and sometimes you get the proofs of the existence of god and um even students who accept you know the the some validity in the proof of the existence of god you know that there's a prime mover or that than which no greater can be thought to exist or the source of the being of all the universe etc okay there are many different proofs they don't necessarily that doesn't necessarily do what you want it to do because when people are asking about whether god exists students usually usually what they really want to know is not whether there's some first prime mover et cetera, et etc cetera. they want to know whether anybody cares right they want to know whether there's any meaning in life they want to know whether love means something or anybody cares about them or whether they're loved ultimately and here's the problem even if you believe there's a first prime mover or something like that that doesn't get you to love Because the problem is, like, how are you going to demonstrate love, right? I mean, even in the human realm, how are you going to demonstrate it scientifically that there is love? But to get to your question, which is a very good question, I always say to people, look, if Dawkins, Harris, anybody, right, they want to teach their children, and they do, right, to love others selflessly, then you'd have to say, how does that make sense in the universe you believe in? Right, right. You've let the cat out of the bag in a way, right? When you have dedicated yourself selflessly to someone in love in this way, right? You said to yourself, the universe I believe in, the universe I act in, is that one, one that's animated by love. And then all you can say is, and that's what Christians believe in, okay? That, you know, there you go. You do too, because you act that way, okay? and uh, you believe ultimately in some kind of ultimate justice, or to the extent, I mean, you say you don't, but to the extent that you act justly, right, you take care of poor people, you, you know, you dedicate yourself to service to others, then you show that's the kind of world you believe makes sense and makes life meaningful. So, you know, in some sense, that is the world you're living in. Um, And, you know, uh, most of us, I think, uh our our lives are better, uh, you know, fortunately than our philosophies suggest they would be. Right. Unfortunately Randall's- Unfortunately, most of our lives are also worse then our theology suggests they should be too but anyway that's another issue
0: no no I, and and again i mean it, it's it's i tried i try not to argue anymore particularly with atheists I, what i try to do now is just ask more questions sure. um you no know, clearly probably you know that you again, our audience those you know the socratic method just ask questions just mm-hmm. well, what about this well, what about that and one question i guess i have friends that are atheists one in particular i have conversations like this all the time and i said well let you know let me ask you why should i do anything good Why Mm -hmm. should I, you know, please, you, you, and I, when I did used to argue with people, I got into some real bad arguments, um, because I would ask it, but not in a nice way, um, (laughs) which is kind of like my fault. (laughs) But I would say, please just tell me why I ought to do anything. Or is there even such a thing as an ought? You know, if it's just, if it's a brute fact that the universe exists, well, then then why can't it be a brute fact? That I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, yeah. leg- forget about legally. Forget about the re- running the risk of going to jail. I'm talking about running the risk of going to hell. If there's no risk of hell or heaven or anything like that, why, why ought I not do whatever I can, including murdering somebody? Right. But again, okay? look, if it's for my own self-interest, because th- this is the atheist worldview, and I, I find what what, what you said the important. I don't think they get around it very much. They don't give a satisfactory answer to that at all
2: well, except they do look, the fundamental questions of meaning that people ask and this is one of the ways i i pose the book right is this is one of the fundamental questions of of meaning what makes life meaningful and um again part of the problem is the reverse i mean what you're saying but in some ways the reverse which is to say um what makes an ought and it's like but you don't live that way right um to both it is a legend that, that um Uh, You know, um, Jean-Paul Sartre was in a bar with somebody and arguing a certain kind of existential philosophy, like you just choose whatever you want to choose and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, one of his interlocutors, supposedly, and I don't know if this is true, saw a Nazi, you know, they were part of the French resistance and and, uh, some German Nazi comes in the bar. And uh, the guy, Sartre's friend, turned to him and said, you wouldn't want me to choose you to turn you into him, would you? Right. Like that that's not a choice which you would value. Right. Right. And look, again, people – here's the problem. People are moral, okay? <laughs> right? I mean their their view of the universe suggests they wouldn't be, but they are. All right. And, and that's like – look, you're a better person than your view of the universe suggests you would be or insists mm-hmm. that you would be. You're not Nietzsche, right? You're not – trying to be this the uber mensch or something you're a person who cares about people and you know loves your children and wants them to be caring and the point is why would you do that right if it's just a big accidental universe where the strong get ahead and the weak get left behind
0: right right Right. Randall Smith is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book from Emmaus Press, From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. Joe Rasinello, let's move it forward.
1: I just want to make a comment on what you're saying. I think that is a very, very valid point, but I think the reason why people have issue with God, um, as as opposed to having like one of those like spirit circles. You ever see those hanging from like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's no accountability when you don't when you say you don't believe in god like god puts boundaries around us for our own sake for freedom's sake and mm-hmm. i think people have issue with that also self sacrificial giving you know it's one thing to be you know good you know you buy somebody a cup of coffee who's on the corner who's cold and poor it's another thing to cut into your 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 want to give. And that's Mm -hmm. what Christ calls us to do. And I think that rubs people the wrong way until what you said, and I'll, I'll remember it. Actually, people have to encounter love. Very important. I think that's the game changer, you Mm -hmm. know, like, you know, I think sometimes what we do in, in, in social media, Catholic social media, we, we leave that out. It becomes almost like a classroom as opposed to like an action, Of showing people, let me show you who Jesus Christ was as opposed to like a biology class, like where we're laying out like boom, 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 boom. The love piece, I think that's spot on, Randall. Mm -hmm. I I really do. Um, With that, I want to get into the next uh, point about body and soul. I -hmm. say this because I come from old world Italians. My father was a barber. He had in his car, in his trunk, a kit that when he went to the the cemetery, he would take care of everyone's like gravesite. I kid you not. He had like a shovel, yeah. clippers. I yeah. say that. no one does that anymore. No one goes to the cemetery. Yeah. I go, and now I do it because I go with my mother, my dad. Really? Yeah, I do. I I mean, I go with my mom. Wow. I say that because the body is sacred. Now mm-hmm. everyone wants to get burned. And some people don't even, like, bury the ashes. Your body is sacred. There's unity between the body and soul. We believe this as Catholics. Speak about that, because I know you, you discuss that in the book. Um, you, you call it intrinsic unity. Yeah. There, well, this is
2: a long tradition in, in the church. I mean, from the very beginning, Paul, St. Paul of the letters, famous, right? We read them, um, says uh, the gospel for him, right, uh, is the death and resurrection of Christ, Um because he's, he's writing before the four Gospels are written. These letters uh, predate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, they're writing down, not the guys, right? But in any case, um, and for him, so when he's talking about, like, we have to preach the good news, we have to preach the Gospel to all people, that, for him, is the death and resurrection of Christ, which also brings about the general resurrection, right? Uh, and he says, look, if we're not res- bodily resurrected, okay— then we are the—then there's no resurrection of Christ, and if there's no resurrection of Christ, we are the people most to be pitied. He puts everything on the line on this. Now, I also argue that part of the element of the book, there's a kind of twofold uh, idea. First of all, that you need a notion of the afterlife, otherwise this life will seem meaningless— But you also need a notion of the afterlife that doesn't make this life meaningless. So one way in which that's done, I think this is always done in the ancient world. I think, in fact, the only view of the afterlife that doesn't make this life meaningless is essentially the resurrection of the body, the Christian notion of the afterlife. But aside from that, um, so, for example, if you think, oh, the great thing about death, and this is very platonic and a lot of people thought this, is that you leave your body behind, Right, and you go to heaven, and then you don't have all these limitations of your body. Well, all that does, and of course, it seems to me that the the sort of idea we're getting now, where people just want to sort of disappear the body in various concerning ways, right? You just burn it up or something like that, and you don't have this respect for the bodies of the of the uh, of the deceased. Um, all that means is again is like, oh, so my embodied existence in this world was meaningless. That gives you this idea that somehow. The body is pointless isn't really part of my identity. And that, of course, is infecting the society completely, right? People are like, oh, I can just change my gender. I'll just change, you know, I'll put fake boobs on my body, and now I'm a woman or something like that, right? Our embodiedness, this came about, by the way, as well, uh, in a different direction, a very Gnostic direction, um, with the, uh, um, during the pandemic, when people are like, oh, we'll just put everybody on computer, right? We'll just have Zoom meeting classrooms with students. And uh, they don't really need to be in the classroom. Well, that was a complete disaster because an embodied presence to people is very, very important, right? So if you have a notion of the afterlife that says, oh, well, we just leave the body behind, it's pointless, it's nothing. Um, Two things happen, it seems to me. A, you devalue the value of the human body in our existence now. You don't understand its value. The second thing, though, I think is very important that I talk about in the book is uh, people like the notion that somehow going to heaven is like going to Cincinnati or something, right? You go there and you live in Cleveland uh, or, you know, let's say like LA or something, and you can't get there, right? It's just a different place as opposed to, so that, you know, they're gone. I believe that the notion of the resurrection of the body suggests that we're that, and the communion of saints, right. Is that they're still connected to us in very, vital in important ways and then i argue that's sort of sacramentally significantly right in terms of a uh, sacramental that's why churchyards were so very very important right when people would go to daily mass or weekday mass whichever right they would see their uh relatives right their deceased relatives all around them in the church and that was a great visual sign that those people were still present in their lives, praying for them, caring for them, loving them, that that hasn't just been lost. And that's the thing that I think really gives people hope. Because I think the thing people fear most about death in many ways is that they're just going to lose their loved ones. And the belief in the resurrection of the body and the communion of saints is hope. That does not That's not what death is, right? We're still deeply connected to those we love praying for them caring for them even more deeply and more profoundly than when we were alive
0: randall uh well for those of you just joining randall smith is joining us to the front line with joe and joe so please go out buy his book it's out from emmaus press from here to eternity let me ask you this randall only because you're talking about heaven you're talking about bodily resurrection um why is it so hard i don't want to sound harsh but why is it so hard for people to understand like you mentioned love OK, so if you obviously you look at heaven as a place of love, Paul says that you don't need faith. You don't need hope. That's all that's left is love. Heaven is a place of pure love, uh, the relationship between the Trinity and with us. Um, why is so hard for people to understand the rejection of love and the grave consequences of the rejection of that love, which is Christ himself, which is God himself? And understand that, you know, something, you know, not only is there a heaven a- after you die, there's a hell, too. We talked about justice earlier. Let's say you are that Nazi soldier. Right, many of whom were baptized Catholics, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, um, no, absolutely.
2: You want to be very clear about that, right? Look, look, all these guys, whether they were Catholic or Lutheran, they're all going to church every week, right? There's almost none of them who are just like somehow godless heathens that are sitting around. I mean, you know, they are in their lives, their living lives, but they're all going to church, and they're all reading the Ten Commandments, and they're all reading Don't Kill, right? And they're killing, right? right. So the Randall- seriousness of that is what we have to take – seriously.
0: Right, and I want to, I want to, we just have to take a break real quick, okay, but I, I think it's an important question. I want to talk about it when we come back from the break. Randall Smith joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. From Here to Eternity is the book, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body, out from Emmaus Press. This is a great conversation, everybody out there, so please don't go anywhere. Stick around for the next segment.
2: Catholic Radio Works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network with Randall Smith. We're discussing his new book, *From Here to Eternity: Reflections on Death Immortality, and Mortality in the Resurrection of the Body*. So, just before the break, Randall, I had begun a conversation with you about the possibility of hell, the rejection of love. All right, and the, which means the rejection of God because God is love. Please um, elaborate on that somewhat. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, one of the great gifts God has given us is free will, and um, it's, uh, you know, I always say to students, uh, you have to take seriously um, the possibility of saying no. Um, but one of the ways I I, I mention this to them is uh, to say, look, uh, many people love that passage from 1 Corinthians uh, that says love is patient, love is kind, love is, uh, you, you know, that uh, doesn't complain, et cetera, et cetera, right? And that a lot of, you see a lot in weddings and stuff like that. Um, I, I once suggested on a Catholic thing article, and I suggested my students, you could make a little uh, checklist, right? And you can put kind, generous, compassionate, you know, doesn't complain, isn't arrogant. And every night you could do a little, you know, love is these things. All right. And then you could say patient. Eh, nope, didn't do that one. Kind. Nope, not that one either. Uh, didn't complain. No, no, absolutely not. You can say, wow, I was not loving today. Right. I did not embody love. It's possible to not do it. Right. And then when you start thinking about your life in various and ways, well, C.S. Lewis used to say, if there's a God of justice, and we might say also a God of love who's like, well, I love you. I want you to love. We should be a little worried, right? I mean, if it weren't for um, the, the death and resurrection of Christ and our belief in the redemption of our sins, we should be really uh, nervous, actually. Because when we think about injustices and unkindness and impatience and arrogance and pride, et cetera, et cetera, most of us would have to admit, oh, well, that yeah, that's that's kind of me. Yeah, I mean, like, no saint here. Um, so, you know— um, it, it You can say no to love and a lot of us, most of us, all of us do every day in a lot of ways. So again, then you have to say to yourself, I really believe in the importance of this. The love commandments are the one thing oftentimes people would like, oh, I, I don't like Christianity. But yeah, you know, their focus on love is a good thing. Love your neighbors yourself. Yeah, that that's really important. That's good. And, you know, a lot of religious traditions and moral traditions around the world have that idea that you should, you know, do unto others, you would have them do unto you, et cetera, et cetera. Just, okay, all right. Well, but is everybody doing that? And the answer is
0: pretty much no, right? So um, well, it's right. an odd I, world, right? I mean, it's like we should, you know, I would I would say, okay, yeah, oh, no, I agree with that. The church, yeah, Jesus said, you know, you'll love others or do, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, you're going to treat the baby in the womb like that? All right. In other words, if you're pro-abortion, go ahead. Or or no, no. Or I say to people like, look,
2: again, the, the 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 this idea of grace coming first is right. Right. God loves. Uh, we love, as it says in 1 John 4, because God loved us first. So God's love comes first. You know, God's love makes us loving by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, absolutely. Right. But then the point is, we have to be transformed. Okay, you can't, and this is just uh, like, it's so horrible. I say to myself, you can't say, um, I mean, you have to act in accord with that love. So you can't say, oh, I love my wife. But you know, every now and again, you have to slap her around. Or so you'd be like, people like, oh, my God, Professor Smith, you didn't just say that. And I'm like, yes, Of course, that's so bad, right? You can't do that. You can't say, oh, I love my neighbor, but I killed him. You know, oh, I love my mom, but I stole money from her. I lied to her all the time, whatever. Again, you know very well that if you have a friend who lies or cheats or steals or, you know, commits adultery, you know, That's the end of the friendship. That that you say to yourself, that person does not love me, right? There are violations of love, and that's how we should understand the commandments, for example. They're fundamental violations of our commandment to love. And so you can say no, and we do say no to love all the time, right? We steal, we lie, we cheat, we you know, we become arrogant. Um, And again, if it weren't for Christ's uh, redemptive uh, action in our lives, which can change us in a number of ways, and we know that our sins are forgiven and that we need to move forward and and ask for God's grace, I think, yeah, there would be every reason in the world just to think it's meaningless, right? And to despair and just go drink or something,
0: Yeah. It, well, it, it, yeah, I, I, I think about you mentioned earlier. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Uh, you know, you think about St. Paul. Didn't he? Didn't he say you basically like let's just party because tomorrow we die? You know, and it seems to be that's what's going on in the modern world. However, let's move on a little bit. Randall Smith joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe rossinello where do you want to go? Randall, you
1: argue in the book that the Christian view of the afterlife is revealed most fully in the person Mm. of the risen Christ. I would agree with that. Um, I think, obviously, people have images of heaven. There's images, you know, in scripture. But that heaven sitting in front of the beatific vision is Mm. heaven. You see, I, I think even Catholics have a twisted view of heaven. First of all, everyone's going. Everyone's going to heaven it's a lock um that's number one it's a lock (laughs) no but you hear it like i know know, know, i've gone to funerals you know and and uh it's it's funny i recently listened to because my father's anniversary uh, of his passing was recent um i listened to uh paul scalia uh his his um homily when his dad passed Mm -hmm. and i think it's fantastic there's such a teaching there of you know we have to be purified before we go to heaven like like all of us like there's a twisted sense of heaven but in the risen christ that is heaven speak to that because i think there needs to be a lot of clarity around that it particularly in the catholic world
2: yeah, I, this is actually meant to be sort of the center of the book, why it's like, you know, I talk about views that I think we should avoid, right? Uh, I'm not really criticizing a lot of other views. I don't take them up in enough detail, really, to be doing, a, uh, you know, a critique of them. But um, I, I more take them up as a way of contrasting. But I do think, then, that central and christians should understand this uh, central there are let me back up one step there are images of the new jerusalem you know the heavenly zion um and artistic renderings right and then of course we get artistic renderings in in uh painting of usually cloudy stuff and then dante all very important but at the heart of the revelation it seems to me of our what we we know about the afterlife is revealed to us in the person of the risen Christ, right? We are united in Christ's glorified body. That's a really important thing. And what that reveals to us, I argue then, is that um, like Christ, right, in the risen Christ, he both enjoys his uh, union, right, with his heavenly Father um, in the resurrection and then the ascension into heaven. Um, but he retains his personal identity. We do not want to think of the, uh, Christian notion, of the afterlife, I think, in that image, which is a lovely image in its own way, but I think it communicates something wrong of the drop of water returning to the ocean. Because when the drop of water returns to the ocean, well, then it just disappears, right? There's no, and, um, again, it's not an oblivion, Okay. It's not negation that we get in the afterlife. It's a glorification. Um, So it's still you uh, that is there because it's still Jesus, right? I mean, I say, look, the story could be different. I mean, the revelation could be different. It could be that there is a man who shows up in the upper room, a kind of angelic figure who says, you know, I am the angel who is hidden inside the man Jesus, and I have been liberated now, and you will. all. It's like, but that's not the story. It's Jesus. He still has the wounds, right, On, on his hands and in his side and on his head, right? So we retain that personal identity, and then I argue again in the communion of saints, the tradition is, and we retain this connection that we have with this world, right of the 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 connection of love we have right we are glorified again not negated all right so this is a redemption which doesn't somehow negate this world or the importance of this world it's a redemption which is a redemption of the world and this is i argue uh one of the sad things i think about losing our faith in the true the real presence of christ in the eucharist is that when people don't believe that in the Eucharist there's the real bodily presence of Christ, as real and as present as Christ was to the disciples in the upper room, as real as he was to them, and in some sense even more real, right, in the upper room, then during his life, when you no longer believe that he's really present in that way, just sort of like, well, it symbolizes him. No, really present. Then you lose your faith that your uh, dece- deceased relatives can be really present to you right you have those scenes in the movies where people sort of say but what if mommy's dead you know and then somebody says very piously no mommy's alive in your heart you know and the point is like yeah but it's just no way they're saying she's dead right i mean you know um it's it's lovely i'm not saying that's a horrible thing it's just that mom's gone right the christian hope is no she's she's not Okay, that she really is alive because Christ is alive. But again, as people lose that sense that Christ is really alive, rather than just in memory, like yeah, we remember a nice guy. People mm-hmm. lose their their hope in uh, in the communion of saints.
0: Randall, let me ask you a question. Uh, Randall Smith joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. You're talking about heaven. Obviously, as Catholics, we know this life is supposed to prepare us for heaven. Okay, mm. we're 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 supposed to you know live our lives you know in the anticipation of of being saved all right through Jesus Christ what talk about the importance of maybe living our lives that way like living our lives as though we were already in heaven Living yeah. our lives and adapting our – see, in heaven, once you see the face of God, I know this is a pretty sticky kind of argument or debate that people have. Well, do you really have free will at that point? Yes, you do, even though you've seen the face of God. You, you, you But it's impossible for you to reject God. But here in this world, it is very possible for you to reject mm-hmm. God. Okay, Talk about preparing ourselves really literally on a daily basis. Um you know, through through the not just through prayer and penance in the Eucharist, but through the way we live our lives, the way we the, the way we interact with other people, how we go about living our lives and preparing ourselves for that transition from this life to the next.
2: No, that's a very good point. I mean, I'm, I make this claim too, is right? Again, the you don't want this disjunction between this life and the next life that again makes this life meaningless. So you don't want that kind of view which sort of says, well, you're miserable now, but that's okay because you're going to get good stuff in heaven or something. Like, then again, the classic, not in monk Christians, but, you know, this notion that, like, well, yeah, you're supposed to be chaste and good now, but you know, in heaven, you'll have sex with 76 virgins or something. Like, no, that just is ridiculous, right? I mean, why would you somehow have a life in the afterlife, which is a life that you would never respect now, right? And that's totally disjointed from what we consider to be a virtuous life. So, my argument is exactly what you're saying, which is that you should live And this is the idea, right? Because, again, too many people sort of live like, well, I'm going to live in a crummy way now. But then, you know, I'll do something right before the end and I'll I'll get heaven. My argument is no, right? You should live a heavenly life now, right? That life which is love God, love your neighbors yourself, okay, Uh, selfless care. And the promise is... That you never have to leave, right? That you can no power on heaven or earth can separate you from that love. Because, again, people mistake this notion, they think, well, like, as a friend of mine used to say about St. Augustine, oh, Augustine got the best of both worlds because he got to live as a sinner and, you know, have sex and do stuff until he was 36. And then he became a saint, you know. So, like, oh, he got – I think um, – that's very funny but uh, um, when he said it, you know, my friend Dan. But um, <laughs> the truth is I think Augustine would say, no, Dan, you got it completely wrong. That was a miserable time. If you read the Confessions, you should have seen I was miserable, <sighs> right? Sin is its own punishment. It alienates us from ourselves, from our neighbors, and from God, right? It makes us lonelier and lonelier and more in despair. And the life of heaven, right, the life of love, is the life which actually gives us life, right? That's the argument. As, as you see in the Second Vatican Council, and John Paul II loved this passage, what the Trinity reveals to us, right, is that when we give ourselves to others, we don't become less. We have more. Right, we become more. That's the mystery that's revealed to us in that communion between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and look, but look, that's counterintuitive, right? We tend to think, um, How do I get more for myself? And the answer is, Well, Screw everybody else and get more and more and more, right? Because it's true, like from material stuff, if I have pizza and I give half my pizza away, there's just no way of getting around the fact that I have less pizza, right? But we're not material beings. We all know that, for example, when I go to the movies with friends and I have five friends there and we're all enjoying the movie together, it's not like I enjoy the movie like, you know, 20% less because I had to share it with friends or something. No, I share it, you know, I have even more joy because I've shared it with them, um, Mm -hmm. let alone caring for people and loving them and loving children. Again, this is the thing we have in our society about children, right? Uh, I think, that is one of the things that, you know, people start to get serious about God when they have children, because it's the thing that says to them, Oh, selfless love for others, caring for others, reveals to me something about God and about the nature of love and life, which my vision hadn't revealed to me before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Randall Smith, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Racineello, where do you want to go?
1: I just want to piggyback off what you're saying. The path to heaven, is heaven in a sense you use the pizza example i gave half my pizza away but i enjoy my half more because of it you see i think what what the world sees there is you still have a half it doesn't look good you see, to live the life of a saint or aspiring saint, you're not going to put you on the cover of People magazine. It's a right. sacrificial life, a father of many children, uh, a, a single person that lives a sa- sacrificial life, a priest that lives a sacrificial life. It doesn't appeal to modern eyes because it doesn't look, quote, on good, but it feels good. And there is peace. I remember talking to a nun talking about death and she said to me, Joe, and she was a holy person. Death is just like going from one room to the next is simple as that. Just like walking from your living room to your kitchen and holy people, people who are close to God. Yes. All the people who are listening to my voice, there are such things as holy people. You know, them when you meet them, they stop traffic when you encounter that type of lifestyle, death does not scare you. You greet it. You have nothing to fear. And we pray on that when we pray our rosary, the assumption of Mary. Mary was assumed bodily and soul into heaven. She had no sin. We do have sin, but if we're going to confession living a good life, we greet death. We greet death as going from one room to the next, no fear, none, only hope, and with with the anticipation of something, and it's real. Talk about that, because I think that gets lost. People fear death, fear it. Christians, to be honest with you, this isn't our life. Life is to come. <laughs> well, here's uh, what I say, uh,
2: actually, in, in the book about that. Um, uh, look, I, I agree with you. I just don't personally experience it, okay? Because you're right about saints, undoubtedly, okay? And there are people like this. I'm just not one of those people, right? Like I, <laughs> people who are listening, who are kind of like, yeah, but well, I, I kind of fear death. It's kind of like, yeah, me too. I say in the in the uh, preface of the book, like I'm probably the last person in the world to write this book um, because there are people who are very comfortable with the uh, idea of death and thinking about death. I am not, I uh, it scares me, um, I'm creeped out by death. I mean, I grew up in this culture. I grew up a Protestant. I'm a adult convert. So I have all that stuff about about death you know like i i uh, like oh my goodness oh it's 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 scary it's terrible it's you know and i don't like funerals i don't know. <laughs> like people who grew up catholic have a tremendous you know uh great thing i would think it was just given to them because they've been allowed to be around it and and in our culture so often people aren't and so it, it you know something which is unknown which is kept mysterious in this way does become terrifying. And so I argue, for example, in the book, I say, so is this book helpful? And uh, I say, well, I hope it's helpful in certain ways. But in the end, Probably not, because it's not an intellectual thing, right? Just, it's also uh, a community thing. So if I were to give any suggestions for people about this, you know, if they find themselves in a place where it's kind of like, well, it's sort of scary, it's whatever, it's like, yes, yeah, I know it is, Um, or it is for me, right, Um, is uh, that it should be handled liturgically, right? In other words, this is the goal, uh, should be the, the, the purpose, one of the purpose, one of the main goals of the church, which we've lost. Right, is handling the whole business of death and funerals, et cetera. There's this whole tradition which we've got now ourselves into of, of funeral homes, which couldn't be anything less like a home, uh, funeral parlors that, you know, again, when people used to have parlors, et cetera, et cetera, all this kind of folder all, it seems to me that all of this should be handled in the church. And then there should be, uh, we should focus on liturgy. I talk about the fact that uh, I know a young woman who's who's unearthed these uh, tremendous chants that were used in the, in the Middle Ages for people as they were dying. Speaking of, uh, of, a, of a sister, I knew somebody uh, who was in a religious order of Dominican sisters, and their deal was – or their practice was, I'm sorry, was when there was a sister who they could tell was in the process of dying. The entire community would come into her room, spilling out into the hallway, and they would pray, right? They would sing prayers until she died, right? The bell would ring, and everybody would come. And you just think, wow, okay, now we're in a different world, right? Uh, Chant, prayer, prayer. Uh, again, I once went to a, a, a memorial service for uh, in an Orthodox uh, service for uh, a uh, somebody who had died, you know, like a month before the the father of a woman there. And I thought this is a beautiful, beautiful service. It's a shame the guy isn't here to participate in it with us. And I don't, I mean, I do believe that in the resurrection of the saints, you know, in the communion of saints, he's there. But I just mean, like, actually, in his life, how comforting this would be. Right. But I think we're terrified that, oh, no, we don't want to say that you're dying in any way, shape or form. And this is. And so, again, we put these people off in a room somewhere. It's terrifying. People don't want to talk about it. That, oh, don't tell anybody because it's, you know, we've lost something. Right. And there, it's just nothing but tragic. And um, that's. That's sad. Again, we don't live around churches that have churchyards with cemeteries, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. People don't visit, and they don't have any sense of that connection. And if you again, if you have, if you lose that, for most people, I think they're going to just think it's weird, it's spooky, it's like you see it in vampire movies, and mm-hmm. it just becomes haunting, right? Because that's the only time we ever see it, is in vampire movies where people are coming out of coffins and it's just haunting. And I grew up with that and so it's kind of like, you know, I know people who like walking through cemeteries um, and I um, I was always creeped out by it. And um, I did, I tell the story about how when I first went to Notre Dame, I had to walk by a cemetery every day um, and every night, late at night um, back to where I lived. And I was creeped out and I said, okay, I'll make a deal with you guys, right? Like the people in the cemetery. I will pray for you every time. I'll pray, like, uh, you know, a decade of the rosary every time I walk by. And then you agree not to haunt me. All right. and, it, <laughs> and it's worked pretty well, actually, for a good number of years. I lived in this house, and when I went go to campus, and I would come back from campus every day. I would pray. Now I actually have good friends. My my dear mentor, Ralph McInerney, is buried in, in the back of that cemetery now. And so I, I say a prayer to Ralph, and Ralph, you know, look after me because I'm a kind of stupid
0: guy, as you
1: know.
2: No,
0: anyway. you're
1: not. <laughs>
2: anyway, no he, St- knew, no, he knew that. Anyway, you may not know that, but he knew that. Anyway, all right.
0: Randall Randall Smith is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. His book, Please Go Out and Buy It, and that's what we're talking about today, is From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. That's out from Emmaus Press. We have a little bit of time left. I want to tell you something, um, Randall. What I've encountered uh, in the death of, say, a particular loved one is when I suggest— okay. Because I, we've all been through it, I think. You get the question. Is, is, is he in heaven? Is he in hell? I don't know. I'm not God. What are you asking me for? Right. But then I follow that up because I'm not just trying to be cheeky. I follow it up. I say, my job is to pray for that person. Yeah. My job is to pray for them. But that's so judgmental. Excuse me? I'm a Roman Catholic. We pray for the dead. I don't know whether that person's in heaven, hell, or purgatory. All I know is my job is to pray for them. Okay, and if they are in hell, their prayers will be used by God. My prayers will be used by God and placed wherever God sees. You know, they'll become efficacious in some way. Right? How did we get to this point that not only can we not discuss death, judgment, and heaven and hell amongst other Catholics? Okay, it's now almost at a point where to discuss judgment implies that you're being judgmental when you say, I... "I, "I don't, I don't get it." When you say, when you try to suggest to somebody, listen, not, it's not just Hitler and Stalin that are in hell. Yeah. Okay. We, uh, there's a lot of people there, at, or uh, you would assume, and a lot of people commit a lot of sins okay so we have to pray for people that the lord that they asked for forgiveness and the lord forgave them but what's the problem where's the, where's the disconnect there well yeah, yeah. And
2: again i like to go the other direction and in, in some ways right and come at people slightly different which is to say well look i mean and i, I was a protestant once so i i thought oh the saints this is going to be communion this is going to be a big problem it turned out not to be a big problem um and uh, as i say to people look uh i don't know you you do you and a lot of people do. Do you like when you have trouble? Do you ask your grandmother or your brother, or your sister to say a prayer for you? And they go, Oh, yeah, of course. You know, and you think that's valuable in some ways, right? I mean, you know, God cares for you and loves you. It's not like God wouldn't do good for you, but somehow you think it's very important and good that people pray for you. And the point is like, yes. And the point, well, we just simply say that after death, and again, if your grandmother or your sister or brother ask you to pray for them, would you? And the answer is yes. The point is, well, we just think that people are still alive after death. Okay, I know that seems counterintuitive, but we believe that. And so you can pray for them and they can pray for you. Uh, is that so utterly strange? Does that mean, again, look, I, I get it sort of seems odd on the surface of it, but if you believe they're still alive in Christ, and in fact, even closer to Christ than we are now and closer to God in the beatific vision, right? And if during their life, what love entailed, for those of us who believe in this, is that I would pray for you and you would pray for me. Then after death, I believe, right? You know, look, I go by the cemetery, I pray for Ralph McInerney and I ask Ralph McInerney for prayers. I have no idea whether he enjoys the beatific vision or doesn't enjoy the beatific vision. I just believe that he's, uh, you know, given the graces in his life, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, I believe he actually can and will pray for me. It's not just Ralph. There's obviously um, sure. know, his wife, Connie, and there's my friend, John Malone. Anyway, and all of them, right? Long before I knew anybody in the cemetery, I said, now you guys, you pray for me and I'll pray for you. The great James Shaw, the Jesuit scholar who also, you know, was at Georgetown for years and also used to write in the Catholic for a long time. This is how he would say goodbye to people. He would say, uh, okay, take care, pray for me and I'll pray for you. And he would wave as he left. You know, and I thought that's a, that's a very lovely thing, right? Like people are departing, and i get what could anybody who's dying say pray for me and i'll pray for you is is that so I, 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 ridiculous I, I mean is that absurd is that like something oh that's so horrible how well, do i think possibly-
0: in modern sensibilities is 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 like you know like if you, if we if if the idea of death judgment heaven and hell have faded away then suggesting that the you know to, to be able to pray for a person, okay, um, somehow is judgmental or you're thinking that you're worried about their soul. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually worried about mine too. I yeah. prayed my wife and I prayed to the holy souls in purgatory. We asked for their prayers in return. <laughs> um, I mean, it, this, it, this seems shocking to people. Unfortunately, minute, yeah. we're on who's, radio who's, and we're out of time. Who's but, not but I want, worried I about their sp- soul? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, but some final comments, please, from you. Uh sum it up for us and also tell our audience the title of the book and where they could buy it.
2: Yeah, From Here to Eternity, uh Reflections on Death, Immortality, which isn't a good idea, right? And uh, but eternal life is and the resurrection of the body through Emmaus Press. It is available on Amazon, but um, if you don't want to go on Amazon, that's fine. You can go to Emmaus uh Press, uh, which is again St. Paul publication. It's the it's the thing that was started by Scott Hahn. Uh wonderful press. They've been very, very good to me. And they also published my book on the Sermons of Thomas Quintus. So if you're interested in the Sermons of Thomas Aquinas, it's more of an academic book, but, um, you know, it, Thomas is an interesting guy. Um, and uh, does that answer that question? Are we yes, having, you know, it, yes okay. it does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other book is, is an, uh, you know, more, again, a more academic uh, book from, from Cambridge University Press, but uh, it's also wonderful. But uh, anyway, but, you know, it's more academic. I, I always, at the end of such things, want to say, yeah, um, thank you, Joe and Joe, and uh, thank you, Joe Rizzello, for uh, reading the Catholic thing. Uh, there are m- many, many good people there, uh, including Father Paul Scalia, as you know, who publishes yes. there regularly. Who's also—I mean, all of them are tr- are tremendous uh, people. So I would say, uh, if you listen to this and you think, "Well, that guy's just weird," the point is, but there's good people on the Catholic thing, not just me. And um, you should listen to that. And of course, I always want to say uh, something like, "You know, listen to Joe and Joe. Uh, you know, like this is a great uh, podcast. These guys are great, right?" I mean, as you know like this was fun and um if everybody who comes on has as much fun as i did then uh it what a great time uh i'll have i mean i live in houston so i don't know that i can get joe and joe but i could get podcasts right so I'll you get podcasts you get to listen, podcasts. Can get get the have to, listen to podcasts yeah and you gotta, and you gotta come
0: joe. back joe. you're always
1: welcome you're always you welcome do your back. articles you, can, right, you get on
0: guys we gotta get no. out of here i'm sorry thank you all for joining us at the front line with joe and joe on the veritas catholic radio network remember till the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.